Welcome to the ACCP Postgrad Podcast, a podcast by residents for residents. My name is Monica. I'm currently a PGY-1 pharmacy resident at Avera McKinnon Hospital in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Two years ago, in March 2019, FDA approved Spurvato as ketamine nasal spray in conjunction with an oral antidepressant for the treatment-resistant depression which is a form of depression that doesn't improve even after the patient has tried several antidepressants. As ketamine is an antiomers of ketamine and works differently than the current antidepressants by exerting its effect on glutamate. To me, this seems like a great news to those who are suffering from such debilitating mental illnesses. So as pharmacists, what do we need to know about this exciting drug? During today's episode, we have Autumn Walkerly, who is completing her PGY2 training, specializing in psychiatry at University of Michigan, join us to talk about Academy and as Academy's role in management of treatment-resistant depression. Hello, Autumn. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk about one of my personal inter- interests, treatment-resistant depression. Awesome. Um, the first thing I'm thinking before we start talking about Academy is how do we define treatment-resistant depression and what is the standard of care for it? That's a great question. And unfortunately, there isn't a consensus on what the definition is. Studies for treatment-resistant depression generally include patients who have had one to two treatment failures at an adequate dose for four to six weeks of treatment. It's important to know what we consider failure of treatment. So in clinical trials, treatment response for depression is usually defined as a 50% or greater reduction in the measured depression severity at the study endpoint, typically using either the Hamilton Depression Rating Scale, abbreviated as HAMD, or the Montgomery Asberg Depression Rating Scale, abbreviated MADRAS. Remission is usually defined as a score of 7 or less on the HAMD or 10 or less on the MADRAS at the study endpoint. So in traditional antidepressant trials, usually around 60% of patients will respond to therapy and about only 25 to 35% will achieve remission by the study endpoint, which is usually around eight to 12 weeks. If patients do not achieve these outcomes, we consider them non-responders to the intervention. We don't always use these scales in clinical practice and response is more subjective per patient account of their symptoms. Currently only combination fluoxetine olanzapine other than esketamine is indicated for treatment-resistant depression, which is unfortunate since nearly one-third of patients will fail to achieve recovery. The largest prospective clinical trial of patients who have failed one or more treatments, the STAR-D trial, guides some of our decisions in sequential medication trials after initial treatment failure. It was designed to determine which of several treatments was the most effective next step for patients who did not achieve remission. So patients were initiated on citalopram, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, abbreviated SSRI, and could proceed down a series of steps if they failed to achieve remission with the first medication. So this included augmentation with cognitive behavioral therapy, bupropion, buspirone, lithium, or triirothyronine. Additionally, there were several switch strategies, which included changing to an alternate SSRI, a serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor, abbreviated SNRI, a tricyclic antidepressant, bupropion, and after failure at steps one through three, patients could then be randomized to a monamine oxidase inhibitor, or abbreviated MAOI. 
Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending how you look at it, there was no single winner in terms of switching, augmenting, or any superiority of agents. We do know from these results that patients in earlier steps of therapy had higher remission rates than later steps in treatment, and that patients with longer duration of depressive episodes were less likely to achieve remission. If I understand correctly, um, patients with treatment-resistant depression are at higher rates of relapse and potentially higher rates of suicidality. Um, Something like there is also an immense need for effective treatment for this group of patients. So the advent of Ascademy in the arena of combating depression is exciting news. What is the mechanism of action and what it is specifically about Ascademy that makes it work for treatment-resistant depression? Absolutely, they are. Another thing we've learned from the STARDI trial, not only that the more treatments a patient tries before they achieve remission puts them at a greater risk for relapse in depressive symptoms, but also the chance of achieving remission decreases with each medication trial. We aren't at the point in clinical practice of considering ketamine as quickly as those who are included in many of the ketamine and esketamine trials. However, ketamine remains a promising therapeutic option. Traditionally, the treatment of depression has targeted modulation of serotonin, norepinephrine, or dopamine. Ketamine, however, NMDA receptor antagonist, which modulates glutamate activity, an excitatory neurotransmitter, and often contributes to stress on the brain and depressive symptoms. Ketamine has action elsewhere in the brain, such as on AMPA receptors, mTOR, and brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF. Like many medications used for the treatment of psychiatric illness, we have an idea of how ketamine works, but we do not know the exact mechanism. Ketamine and esketamine have similar efficacy for treatment-resistant depression. The major difference is esketamine is the S enantiomer of ketamine, which has a higher affinity for NMDA receptors and is thought to have less adverse effects. So overall, the mechanism of action is not fully understood yet. To summarize, ketamine's antidepressant effects are primarily mediated through antagonizing an MDA receptor, leading to a paradoxical glutamate surge with downstream effects on different pathways, improving neural functions. As ketamine, as an SENTomer, has a higher affinity for an MDA receptor. And there are other proposed mechanisms for its antidepressant effects. So in one clinical in one clinical study, a SPIRE trial, Ascademy has shown the short-term antidepressant effect where patients received interventions for four weeks and one was on long-term effect of 16 weeks. Both of the studies have shown significant improvement of MDD symptoms. So Autumn, will you be able to elaborate more on the clinical evidence of using Ascademy in treatment-resistant depression? Absolutely. First, it's important to recognize that in these studies I'm going to mention, patients were given esketamine in addition to an antidepressant. So the first was a double-blind, randomized, active-controlled study in 197 patients with treatment-resistant depression, which was defined as a 25% or less improvement with treatment of anywhere from one to five antidepressants. The study had a four-week screening period, a four-week treatment phase where patients were randomized to esketamine at 84 or 56 milligrams or placebo in addition to a new oral antidepressant. And they also had a post-treatment follow-up period of up to 24 weeks. This study included patients aged 18 to 64 years with two years or longer single episode of depression or recurrent depression and who were medically stable. 
Patients were excluded if they had current or recent homicidal or suicidal ideation, the psychotic disorder or psychotic features with their MDD, bipolar disorder, personality disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, an intellectual disability, autism spectrum disorder, recent substance use disorder, or seizures. Additionally, if patients had previously shown non-response to ketamine or esketamine, oral antidepressants used in this study, which were escitalopram, sertraline, duloxetine, or venlafaxine, or electroconvulsive therapy, they were also excluded. The primary endpoint for this study was change in MADRA scores from baseline to day 28. Important secondary endpoints included response rates, which were defined as a 50% or greater reduction in MADRA scores, and remission rates, which were defined as a MADRA score of 12 or less. Of the patients included, baseline characteristics were similar between the two groups. Patients were on an average, were an average age of about 45 years, majority were female and white, and most had previous trials of one or two antidepressants. Baseline MADRA scores were 37 and 37.3 in the esketamine and placebo groups respectively. Interestingly, since antidepressant choice was left up to the investigator, a majority of patients were treated with an SNRI and roughly 54% of those received duloxetine. The mean MADRAS scores decreased from baseline to day 28 in both groups with a greater reduction in the esketamine plus antidepressant group compared to the antidepressant plus placebo group with a least square mean difference of four with a 95% confidence interval of negative 7.31 to negative 0.64 and a p-value of 0.02. Then there was an effect size of 0.3. This difference was rapid with a mean reduction of 3.3 at day two with a separation sooner than what we typically see in antidepressant studies. And it was maintained throughout all 28 days. Response rates were higher in the esketamine and antidepressant group compared to the antidepressant and placebo group at day 28, though these were not significant, which was 7.9% and 4.6% respectively. Because of the lack of significance in that secondary endpoint, Remission could not be formally evaluated. In a post hoc analysis, 69.3% and 52.0% had treatment response at day 28, and 52.5% and 31% of patients were in remission at day 28 in the esketamine and placebo groups, respectively. The most common adverse effects observed in the esketamine group, with an incidence of at least 20%, included dizziness, dissociation, altered perception of taste, vertigo, and nausea. Most adverse effects were of mild or moderate severity and resolved by an hour and a half after receiving the dose. More patients in the esketamine group discontinued therapy due to adverse effects than in the placebo group. Patients also experienced transient increases in their blood pressure after each dose of esketamine, with a maximum value reached 40 minutes after dosing and returning to mostly normal one and a half to two hours after dosing. The maximum increase in blood pressure was 11.6 systolic and 8.1 diastolic in the esketamine group and 5.0 systolic and 4.5 diastolic in the esketamine and placebo groups, respectively. The reduction in MADRA scores and sustained reduction over the 28 weeks was pretty impressive. This reduction is similar to other adjunctive strategies in major depressive disorders, such as quetiapine and aripiprazole. We should note that the response and remission rates, though obtained in a post hoc analysis, were higher than those seen in the STAR D trial after two steps of therapy, 
which were 16.8 and 13.7% respectively. And in the fluoxetine olanzapine studies were 40.4% and 27.3% respectively. The study does have several limitations that should be addressed. First, there was a high placebo response rate, which is not uncommon in antidepressant studies, but this could be somewhat attributed to the patients being switched to a new antidepressant at study entry. Additionally, this study excluded patients with almost any other psychiatric comorbidity who were over the age of 65 and who had active suicidal ideation, limiting the generalizability of the results. And finally, this study only assessed outcomes up to 28 days. With a short follow-up period, we don't have long-term efficacy or safety data from this trial to know if these effects are sustained longer than four weeks. Awesome. Um, it sounds like the results of that trial um, were very interesting. Has, has the ascatamine been studied in other populations, which may you know, increase the generalizability of the treatment effect? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. As ketamine has been studied in patients with active suicidal ideation with intent, though other patient characteristics were similar to the trial I just summarized. In this trial, similar results were found in the change of moderate scores at day two with a mean difference of 3.8. Another trial assessed the time to relapse in patients receiving esketamine compared to placebo for up to 92 weeks. They found a significant difference in the proportion of patients who achieved and maintained stable response and remission compared to placebo throughout the study follow-up. It should be noted that the number of patients who achieved stable remission and response prior to the maintenance phase of that study was pretty low. So hopefully we can get some other trials of long-term data with a larger population. Awesome. With all this evidence, what is Ascademy's place in therapy? Otherwise, which patient would benefit from this treatment? No major guidelines have been updated to include esketamine in the recommendations for the treatment of depression. The patient I see being a great candidate for esketamine treatment is someone who has had a long episode of depression, has tried multiple antidepressants from different classes, who has still not responded to therapy. I definitely think it would be helpful in someone who is in an acute crisis and has a plan to end their life. It's really interesting when you compare who the trials included, which were mostly patients who had one to two past medication trials, and how many things we try and practice before turning to esketamine. Typically, we try a couple SSRIs and or SNRIs, maybe bupropion or mirtazapine, an augmentation with aripiprazole or cotypine, and sometimes even lithium or thyroid hormone. I think part of that has to do with the low availability of sites that are currently using esketamine, but also the hesitancy to step into the unknown. So yes, we have a trial that shows us ketamine can maintain remission and response for long-term, but then what do we do? Do we continue maintenance with an antidepressant? Do we do once a month of ketamine treatments? Some of their concerns include medication interactions. Since the trials excluded patients who had a history of seizures and bipolar disorder, how does esketamine interact with medications we use to treat them? Since anti-seizure medications, often also used as mood stabilizers, have activity on GABA and glutamate, how does esketamine affect those medications? These questions still need to be answered before we can definitively give esketamine a place in therapy. Additionally, there are several barriers to giving esketamine. It has a risk evaluation and mitigation strategies or REMS program requiring the inpatient or outpatient healthcare setting to be certified, the dispensing pharmacy to be certified, 
and the patient to be enrolled in the program in order to receive esketamine. For some patients, esketamine is covered as a medical benefit versus a pharmacy benefit. So in some cases, outpatient clinics must maintain their own supply of esketamine, in which storage gets a little tricky since esketamine is a Schedule three controlled substance. And finally, the logistics of visits can be a barrier to a site setting up an esketamine clinic. Each patient must be monitored for a two-hour period after administration of esketamine, which includes monitoring of vital signs, sedation, and dissociation. So some health systems or clinics may not have the resources to support this. Yeah, um, being only available through REMS and the requirement of observation for two hours after administration are definitely some of the limitations. So Autumn, as pharmacists, what are the roles we could potentially have in implementing the treatment if we were to help with implementing those treatments for our patients? Certainly pharmacists can play a role in developing policies and procedures related to the esketamine REMS enrollment and setup, ensuring a process for procurement is in place, reviewing prior authorizations, and even potentially establishing a collaborative practice agreement with providers to administer esketamine. In some pharmacist clinics that have been implemented, they even perform follow-up calls to assess the dose needed, efficacy through performing validated rating scale assessments, and to ensure the patient attends their follow-up visits. In summarization, escatamine offers novel treatment approach in those patients with treatment-resistant depression. There are some logistical barriers in its implementation that may affect it being widely used. More studies need to be done to explore the long-term use of Ascademy and its effect in those patient populations. Autumn, thank you so much for a great review over this topic. I have learned a lot. Thank you again for having me. I really appreciated having this opportunity to be on the podcast, and I hope everyone listening learned a lot too. Thank you for listening to an ACCP podcast for residents by residents. Our theme music is titled Jupiter's Smile by the 126ers and is provided through YouTube's free audio library.